I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, August 19th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the state's medical system is at a breaking point as COVID cases skyrocket. Then, a massive virus outbreak shuts down Smith County schools. Plus, three Alabama doctors shared their experiences on the front lines of the pandemic. And Curious George turns 80. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. We are clearly at the worst part of the pandemic that we've seen throughout, and it's continuing to worsen. We're seeing higher and higher numbers, not only of cases, but also hospitalizations, people in the intensive care unit, life support, and then, like we've seen before, Sadly, additional deaths are going to follow. Without a doubt, we have surpassed our previous peaks by a substantial margin, and we plan to see that continue. That state health officer, Dr. Thomas Dobbs, speaking yesterday at a Department of Health press conference. Mississippi's dogged upward trend in COVID-related hospitalizations and ICU admissions has pushed the state's hospitals into unknown territory. Jim Craig of the health department says one ominous emergency measure is now on the table. Today, we issued a health officer order that permits certified paramedics, advanced emergency medical technicians, and EMTs licensed in the state of Mississippi acting under medical direction to care for patients in a Mississippi licensed hospital emergency room or other part of the facility while not on duty with a licensed EMS agency. They'll do that within the scope of practices identified by our laws, rules, and regulations and detailed in the national EMS scope for their particular uh, level of certification. That's going to be a real benefit and a request that we receive from a lot of hospitals to allow uh, EMTs and and medics to, to extend some of the services into the hospital setting. Yesterday, the state reported more than 4,000 new cases of COVID-19. We expect updated numbers later this morning. Coming up, COVID devastates a small Mississippi school district. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. 
This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. The start of school in Mississippi came this year in the midst of the biggest COVID-19 outbreak the state has ever seen. Infectious disease experts warned the virus could spread out of control in crowded classrooms and school buses. They were right. Nick Hillman is the superintendent of schools in Smith County, where in-person K-12 through classes got underway about two weeks ago. In the time since, almost a quarter of the county's student body has been quarantined for exposure to the coronavirus. An eighth grader died of COVID over the weekend. Superintendent Hillman speaks with MPB's Desiree Fraser. You know, they say, CDC, it takes about two weeks to run its course. We just got so many out on quarantine. That they're not getting education being quarantined. And uh, so we're going to close for two weeks, August the 23rd through September the 7th. Will there be any virtual learning or it's a complete shutdown? It's a complete shutdown, ma'am. Why did you decide to take that route? Well, simply because, you know, we just got a lot of kids and got a lot of teachers out, uh, you know, we're quarantined. You know, we we sort of exceed the guidelines of what CDC says, so such as, you know, they say if you had your shots and all and you have direct contact, you don't have to quarantine. Well, we quarantine you anyway to be safe because everybody knows you can have the shots and still contract the disease now. And the CDC says it takes about two weeks to run its course, 14 days when you have an outbreak. So these 600 kids that we have quarantined in two weeks, they'll be back to school. The teachers that we got quarantined, they'll be back to school. And we'll start from a flat baseline. And then we can monitor the cases and monitor the quarantines. And if something starts rising again, then we'll have to go to basically plan B. And that way we'll offer virtual classes. The problem we have in Smith County is Internet access. And uh, we got to try to do the best we can to educate all our kids. When did school start? August the 6th. Was the mass mandate, was there a mass mandate then? It was optional then. Did you feel comfortable with that, like enough students would mass that it may not get to this point? Well, ma'am, you know, you asking a personal question on that point. What I mean by that is everybody's got their own opinion about mass shots and everything else. But that was the you know decision made that we would be optional, and later we went to mandatory. Was it shortly thereafter you went to mandatory? Yes, ma'am. Have you brought in grief counselors? Yes, ma'am. And what is how are they doing this? Is there one at every school or? Well, what happened after the thing, ma'am, I brought in all the counselors from the other schools to Raleigh, where I had all my counselors from every school up here. Had the local pastors, had uh, Weems Mental Health, their counselors. They came up, and uh, we provided counseling with all those groups of people. Overall, how do you think 
everyone is doing. I know it's a difficult situation, and our condolences to everyone, especially the family, at the passing of Michaela Robinson. Well, you know, that's hard to say, ma'am. Some's taking it, you know, real hard. and You know, I mean, it's just a tragedy. Anytime you lose a student, you know, it's a tragedy whatever way you lose a student. And, you know, over 30-something years, I've had more than my share, just to be honest about it. And, it, you know, it's tough to lose any students from any cause. Will the schools be deep cleaned or anything over the course of those two weeks? We clean our schools every day, ma'am. Is there anything that you'd like to share that I didn't ask you? You know, I'm just, you know, I, I just, I just can't imagine losing a child. You know, it doesn't matter if he, you know, for whatever reason to lose one of your child, you know, that's just got to be the toughest thing in the world. I don't know what happened if I lost one of mine. You know, it's just hard to, hard to imagine. You know, yeah, yeah. Just like my mother told me, children are supposed to bury your parents. Parents aren't supposed to bury your children, and that is so true. And maybe also because it happened so fast. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I'm saying. You know, you don't know how this virus affects people. Nobody knows that. It's just, you know, just tragic. Just tragic. Superintendent Hillman, I appreciate you very much taking the time to speak with us. And again, our condolences to everyone who is dealing with this unfortunate loss. Yes, ma'am. And hopefully, after the two weeks, we can get back to in-person learning. Yes, ma'am. I mean, like I say, we have a plan B, but, you know, used to, as educators, our number one job was to educate children the best we could at the highest level that we could. But we're on a new playing field now. When you say you've got to keep your kids safe, you've got to keep them safe. Because this is just, this pandemic is not no joke. You know, and people need to understand that. Do you think as a result of this that, and I'm I'm just asking you this question, you may not even be able to answer it, but as a result of this that maybe those opposed to mask might see the benefit now? I hope so. You know, I'm not, like I say, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, a medical expert. But do the mask work? I couldn't tell you. Does it hurt to wear them? No. Does the shot work? I don't know. But I'm going to take it, you know, or took it. We need to take every ounce of prevention that we can. As I was saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I hope is, you know, 
folks to realize, you know, I need to do everything I can. Smith County, this is not good. I don't know if you know this. Smith County is the second lowest vaccinated county in the state of Mississippi. That's not helping. We have a little over 20% of our people vaccinated. So eight out of every 10 people you walk by has not been vaccinated. That's, I think, a problem. And, you know, folks have their own feelings about vaccination, and I can't change that. But, you know, I, I just hope they think a little more about it now. You know, the number one county is Neshoba County, and and they having a lot of trouble in Neshoba County. And, and like I say, if I could change these people's minds on getting a shot, getting vaccinated, I certainly would. But, you know, ma'am, I, I really can't do nothing but please with them on that deal. I understand. I understand. Well, I'm not going to hold you up any longer. I do appreciate your time, you know, yes, and I'll be um, praying for the school district, praying for you, because well, I know that is an awesome burden that you carry. Yes, ma'am. Will you take care? Okay. All right, now. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Coming up, three doctors share their experiences on the front lines of the COVID surge. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Hospitals in the region are under siege by the coronavirus. Louisiana and Mississippi have exceeded their winter and summer hospitalization peaks. And Alabama is headed in the same direction. At one point this week, that state reported more ICU patients than available beds. This morning, we hear from three Alabama physicians on the front lines. This is uh, Dr. Ali Hassoun. I'm an infectious disease specialist in Huntsville, Alabama. I was supposed to be off the last two days, um, but because of the surge in COVID-19, I have been working for almost three weeks now daily. Of course, the cases uh, with COVID continue to increase significantly. The hospitals getting full, the ICU bed getting full. Not only the hospital base is getting full, but there's shortage of staff. There's shortage of nurses. It's very hard to keep healthcare professional continue doing what they're supposed to do with community is not doing their part. Hi, this is Cynthia Renee Crowder Hicks, and I'm one of the pulmonary and sleep medicine doctors here at Diagnostic and Medical Clinic. This wave is a little bit more challenging to hold up, just being honest, because it was preventable. The majority of our population is unvaccinated. And with that being said, those are the ones that tend to decline. The big thing, and when you look at the patients, they're, they're scared and they're by themselves. So they're lonely. They have no one to hold their hands or to talk to them. The more anxious they are, the less they're able to breathe. They all cry. 
They are all nervous. They are all very vulnerable at that point. The majority still say, I wish I would have. And it's nothing we can do about that now. My hope is that you survive this. Uh, my name is Nancy Tofel, and I am a professor of pediatric critical care at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. I work primarily in the pediatric intensive care at Children's of Alabama. And ever since this Delta variant became so prominent, we've seen a huge increase in the number of COVID patients. The other thing that seems to be different now is children are getting much more sick with COVID. Almost all of these families have some regret um, about not getting vaccinated. Um, some had some misunderstanding about the vaccines and myself and some of the infectious disease experts have talked with them about getting vaccinated in the future. You feel sorry for those who believe this misinformation. But at the same time, you see patient still saying there is no COVID. We don't believe there's these problems and we're not interested in vaccination. You know, it, it just it blows my mind that we have gotten to this point. We've had to convert just regular rooms in a hospital to a, an ICU. Nobody feels that they're giving optimal care. We are overworked and we are frustrated. You know, I'm tired of my 47-year-olds dying. That was my day-to-day. -day. It's terrible. Dr. Ali Hassoun is an infectious disease specialist at Huntsville Hospital. Dr. Cynthia Crowder-Hicks is a pulmonologist at Infirmary Health in Mobile. Dr. Nancy Tofel is a critical care physician at Children's of Alabama. This segment was produced by WBHM's Mary Scott Hodgen. WBHM in Birmingham is one of our partners in the Gulf States newsroom. Coming up, Curious George hits a milestone. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Curious George turned 80 this week. Early illustrations of the misadventurous monkey, as well as some preliminary Curious George manuscripts, are housed here in Mississippi at USM's de Grumman Collection. The collection is named for children's literature teacher Lena de Grumman, who secured much of its materials via personal outreach to authors and illustrators over a period of decades. Here's curator Ellen Ruffin. She had retired from the school library system as director of all school libraries in Baton Rouge and came to Hattiesburg to teach children's lit here at the library school and was very impressed with the caliber of her students. And that's what started the letter writing campaign. It was because she wanted her classes and the experience of these graduate students to be more than a textbook. So she began writing authors and illustrators and asking them to send bits and pieces of their work from children's books. She must have written an awful lot of letters because there are more than 1,300 authors and illustrators in the collection. That's right. That's right. The thing that was amazing, I thought she wrote three and four hundred a month, 
we found out she was writing three and four hundred letters a week, and she'd write them in longhand. So the the fun thing is to read the correspondence and the relationships that developed with the authors and illustrators. One of the reasons we wanted to talk to you today is in celebration of Curious George's 80th birthday. It seems yes. impossible that that's, that's even possible. <laughs> there, of course, is the Curious George collection as part of the DeGrumman collection. Actually, do you know August 17th? is the day that George was published in 1941. He is officially 80 years old. And I want to mention there is an excellent documentary titled Monkey Business, the true story of the creators of Curious George. It is a fantastic thing to examine and it takes it 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 lasts an hour and 10 minutes you know when i think of famous cartoon characters or you know illustrations peanuts comes to mind of course but peanuts isn't 80 years old curious george is 80 (laughs) years old he's he's got to be the most uh, or have the most longevity in terms of his impact on children for 80 years that's really something He has done a really good job of making it around the world. As a matter of fact, the young woman who's the filmmaker of that documentary I mentioned thought he was Japanese. She had no idea how he was created. And while she was in film school, she happened to realize, she went to NYU, and she happened to realize this story is amazing. And so she realized that George was not just Japanese. And of course, that came about much later with the translations. It's also interesting that he was named something else at first, and there was hesitancy to name him George because it might come across as mockery of King George? In England, he was called Zozo. Now he is George in England, but we have, speaking of the book collection, we have uh, several copies of books about Zozo the monkey because it, it really was sort of dangerous to offend the king of England at that time. And right in 1941, he was there. King George was on the throne. What do you think the biggest impact he's had on children over all these generations? Well, it's hard for me not to borrow the phrases I've heard Margaret Ray make in some of these sound bites that we have in the archive, and that is that he has ingenuity, and he gets into trouble because he's curious. He doesn't intend to get into trouble, but he's curious, and so he steps out and takes all kinds of curious adventures, and he winds up getting into a pickle, but through his ingenuity, he is able to work his way out of it. And it's not only the man with the yellow hat who comes in and helps him. George manages to find his way out of some of these difficult circumstances in which he lands. 
Ellen Ruffin is the curator of the DeGrumman Collection at the University of Southern Mississippi. Now, before we leave you, we've just received new case numbers from the Mississippi Department of Health. Their report cites 4,807 new COVID cases in the state and 21 deaths. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.